0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. It's good to be with you. We are in James, chapter three, like was just read, and we're talking about two different kinds of wisdom this morning. Uh, I don't know if any of you read classics, but um, Charles Dickens wrote a book called The Tale of Two Cities have not read it. Uh, I think I looked through an abridged version when I was a kid where there's like a picture on every page. Um, but uh, there's a famous quote in the very first line, and you've maybe seen this because it's used a lot, and it says, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And so I kind of thought of that when I thought about this passage today as maybe a, a framework to think out of this morning, that James is giving us a best case scenario and a worst case scenario a life that's lived in the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. Word that he uses twice in this passage is the word ambition. I don't know what the first thing that is that comes to your mind when you think of ambition or being ambitious. Based on your personality or your wiring, you may be a very ambitious person. Uh, People might describe you as that. You might think of yourself as that. Um, You might know other people that are very ambitious. You might be married to a very ambitious person and you're the laid back one. Um, I think that I'd like to hone in on that word as we think about the two contrasting views of wisdom this morning. It begins in the negative, so I'm just going to jump back in and read again the first couple verses uh, to give us context. James 13, or sorry, James 3:13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Where, there, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. I was recently in a conversation at work uh, where a couple colleagues were discussing one of the managers who's at a pretty high level in the organization, and they were discussing how this certain individual really gets stuff done. And because of the type of organization I work in, if To accomplish something means you got to go through a lot of red tapes and a lot of barriers and a lot of committee meetings and then another committee meeting and then it sits on a desk for two years and then it comes back up again in a committee meeting and it gets put in the ongoing items category and then five years later something happens. But this particular leader knows how to get stuff done and that was just kind of the conversation that was happening. And that's, you know, for those of you that are in business or run companies or have people that work for you, that's a trait that you'd probably like to see in your employee, somebody who knows how to get things done or has an ambitious drive. But this conversation didn't exactly end there. They started talking about this particular person's way of getting things done. And one of the colleagues kind of made the comment that, like, it doesn't matter who gets crushed, who gets run over, or who loses their job, stuff gets done. That, I think, is a different kind of ambition and something that we probably see all too often in places that we work, and if we're honest, in our own hearts. So let's examine a couple quotes from history of some people talking about ambition. The first guy is someone you probably recognize. He said that people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do it. And that was Steve Jobs, who definitely changed the world um, in probably some positive ways and in some other ways that we could probably argue about whether they were positive or not. Second guy, a little less well known, said that a man's worth is no greater than the worth of his ambitions. So, this was an emperor, Marcus Aurelius, um, not the guy from Gladiator, I don't think, but um, who uh, was, I think, at the last part of Pax Romanus. So he was one of the last great emperors of Rome before it started to disintegrate. He was also a philosopher. It's an interesting quote. If I think if I'm reading him correctly, he's basically saying, You're only as good as your goals, and you're only as good as what you bring to your ambitions to life. Third guy, uh, he said that great ambition is the passion of a great character. Those endowed with it may perform very good or very bad acts. It all depends on which principles direct them. Napoleon, a small little guy who ruled Europe. Um, It was funny, I looked at his biography because I actually don't know a ton about him, and I was just reading about who he was, and somebody wrote, he was a very, had a very gentle uh, disposition until about three. (laughs) I was like, who knew that? Like, (laughs) who recorded that? Um, But I guess, that's when it changed, right? (laughs) So, at three, ambition took over. So, I'll have to talk to the child development experts about what was going on there. Um, The last one, he who would live must fight. He who doesn't wish to fight in this world where permanent struggle is the law of life has not the right to exist. Now, this quote sits with the backdrop of all kinds of suffering and terror attached to it, right? You think about the ambition of a man, the ambition of men surrounding this particular person, what it led to. Um, To the backdrop of this quote is completely ruined cities, six million murdered um, Jewish people, um, teenage boys slaughtered all across Europe and Asia in the Pacific. This is probably the, one of the most extreme examples of ambition gone very, very wrong. So this is the extreme example, and these are examples from history, but let's think about what James is talking about in our passage today is for believers. So he's talking to the church, and he's talking to leaders in the church, but also to the community at large. And he's saying that, you know, initially in the first sentence he's saying, who thinks you're wise among you? Which of you thinks you have a good character? Which one of you thinks your heart and your desires are in the right place? He's saying, well, full stop, take an examination of your heart. He says that the wisdom that we're talking about here, going back to the verse, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice now he uses a word here that's pretty shocking he calls this wisdom earthly which is uh to be worldly in this context uh unspiritual obviously opposite of spiritual but then he says demonic and uh that might jump out at you as a word whoa that's a kind of uh intense word as a christian the christian community uses demonic in ways sometimes that gets a little strange right everything can be demonic depending what youtube channel you're on um, whether it's, you know, the Super Bowl or Lion King or, um, and the Grammys, which, you know. <laughs> um, but, so it's used to kind of describe overt evil. When we truly see the imprint of evil on something, say that is the work of darkness. But what James is highlighting here, and, and what I talked about earlier, when I, the glass guy I quoted up there, that's pretty clear. There was something very dark and evil at work in the ambitions of the men that led to the horror of World War II. But James is talking about us in the church and he's talking to believers and and people who may think that they're on the right path, that they feel wise and spiritual. And he says, be careful. Examine your heart. Look at yourself. What drives you? What kinds of things are waking you up in the morning? What makes you tick? And you think about the kinds of things that go on within church communities, right? If we had a little, time this morning to share. I'm sure lots of you in here could talk about negative experiences that you've had in church communities with other Christians, encounters with people within the church that hurt you, toxic kinds of relationships, toxic kinds of structures. Um, And if we're really honest and examine our hearts, we probably were the cause of some of those negative relationships and interactions with people. And so when we unearth our own jealousy, our own selfishness, and sometimes naked ambition or just subtle ambition. We can see that these kinds of uh, things that are going on in our life has led to poor choices or some downright terrible ones. You think about social media, I mean, that's where we all are and and that's where we communicate in a lot of ways. It's, it's changed the way that we think about ourselves even in some ways, right? We project ourselves in ways that we didn't do 15 years ago and there's people in this room who have a, had a lot more experience not being on social media than some of us who kind of came into social media as teenagers. Um, but We do some weird things on social media that we never would have done 15 years ago. And one of the things is, I thought about this the other day and I'm guilty of it too, is self-promotion. You ever think that we spend a lot of time just kind of promoting ourselves? in ways that we never would have done 15, 20 years ago. For example, one of the things I see people do sometimes, and, and this is usually bigger kind of celebrity people, but they will retweet or post what somebody has said about them. Right? So it's like, what an incredible person. You know, I just met someone and they were amazing. It's interesting, eh? You think about if you were in a conversation with someone and you were like, oh, by the way, did you know so-and-so thinks I'm amazing? I just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> it's kind of... Social media gives us that distance, right? So we don't think about it in that context. Uh, But I started thinking about that. I'm like, in what ways am I self-promoting myself? Um, Not just in social media, but in the ways I'm subtly doing things to make myself look better, feel better, present my family or myself in a way that's just not the reality. I literally this morning when we're getting ready for church I'm like let's go and I'm having this moment of trying to get my family through the door and I'm thinking about what I'm going to be speaking about in 30 minutes and everything in me is just screaming to just be a total jerk and just tell everyone come on like it, it should not have to take us this long why is it the same thing every Sunday and then I'm just like there it is just the selfish ambition the things that are just in my heart and soul that just come to the top uh, all the time so verse 16, uh, kind of the final part of the negative part of this passage says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. When I was prepping for this sermon, I opened up uh, one of the apps on my phone, uh, news app, and I just said, I'm going to see what the top four stories are. just see." And it was, Feud between Russian Warlord and Generals Goes Public, Murdaugh describes the moment he saw the bodies of his wife and son. R. Kelly, serving 30 years for sex trafficking, gets another 20 years for child pornography. And the state board says that Memphis Fire Department may have contributed to the death of Tyree Nichols. I was just like, that took two seconds to get that. Now, I understand the news, you know, they major in bad news. But those are the kinds of things that are the repercussions of the way that we live unchecked, right? Selfish ambition desires every vile practice, order, and chaos. Disorder and chaos exist in places where Jesus and his wisdom are not practiced. The good news this morning, though, is is that James gives us a blueprint to live differently, a kind of wisdom that's a better way, a godly way. And that's in the last two verses, which I'll read. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. One of the commentators that I read said that peace is really the thread that's running throughout all these verses. At first I was like, I don't think that's what the whole passage is about, but I do think that what this commentator was saying is that we're seeing a compare and contrast thing going on here. And you might remember when you were in school, if you ever had to like answer a question that said compare and contrast, I don't know, two different empires or um, something like that. That's kind of what James is doing here, maybe not intentionally, but that's what we see when we read it, that we have the, the kind of chaos, the disorder of a, of a selfish ambition and bitter jealousy uh, laid out against the way of Jesus and the way that uh, we're called to live. So he's giving characteristics that I think we would all love to have in our bio, right, or see in somebody else's bio. Being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good works, or good fruits, same thing, impartial and sincere. So the result of this is peace, then, instead of disorder and a harvest of righteousness. So this sounds a lot like Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, so... I'm just going to read a couple verses that connect to what James is saying from Matthew 5. Jesus teaching on the hillside. Um, James, being the brother of Jesus, is kind of re-emphasizing this through what he's saying here about wisdom. He says in Matthew 5, 8, speaking of purity, and we'll just go through each one of the, the characteristics that we have here. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So this idea that purity leads to a revelation of God, a clear understanding of who God is. Matthew 5.9 says, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called the sons of God. So peace leads to a knowing, a a being a part of relationship with God. Matthew 5.5 says, the gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew 5.3 says, the pure in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom Of heaven is theirs. Matthew five, seven says that the merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. And Matthew five six says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So this is, like I said, from the very famous Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is telling his followers or the people that have come to listen to him, what it looks like to live in a kind of of counter-cultural kingdom. And it's a very different narrative than the narrative that we hear and marinate in and sit in as people who live in the world, who are a part of systems and ideas that we're not even aware of, but they subtly influence us in the way that we think, the way that we do business, the way that we have relationships. Um, All are a part of our our framework that we live in, the Western context that we live in, our Canadian context, you want to boil it down all the way to like a Waterloo region slash Center Wellington, um, Perth uh, kind of connection. Uh, We have particular things that keep us or that inform our framework for how we think about life, things like, you know, individualism, capitalism, capitalism. you know our obsession with fame and celebrity and those things aren't necessarily all bad things but they influence us and they make us see things particular in a particular way and so uh, Jesus always and as the son of God gets at our hearts right when people come and ask him questions he strips away the kinds of things that we think or think we know about the world and gives us kind of a different framework to think And the kinds of things that I read about earlier, the quotes that I quoted, are all products of a world that is out of step with Jesus. So not only is the teaching of Jesus like a blueprint for wisdom, we have an example of Jesus as the way he lived here, lived his life here on earth. Jesus was fully God and fully man, but in his humanity, he lived out a kind of life that gives us an example for how to follow. So you think about Jesus, if you can think of him in the Gospels, what he was like, that we just went through Mark uh, here at Citizens, and we talked about the way that Jesus interacted with people, the things that Jesus did that kind of shocked his disciples, uh, the very kind of different Messiah than they imagined him to be, right? He was going to be the king, he was going to conquer, and he came and was very different. So he wasn't here for power and ambition, but really Jesus was the complete opposite, of selfish ambition and jealousy. He was and is the prince of peace, right? And he demonstrated peace when he lived here on earth and when he walked uh, the streets. He teaches oppressed people to carry the backpacks of soldiers, which uh, if you remember that teaching, that's a pretty wild one. You think about the fact that the Jewish people at that time were oppressed. Right? They were literally living under oppression. It'd be like if there was soldiers out on our streets here from a different country, and when we stepped out the door, they just handed us their AK-47. we like, carry it for me. And Jesus said, then just carry it for them. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy kind of countercultural understanding of what it means to live within a kingdom, God's kingdom. One of the uh, story that Reed, my son, always gets confused by is the one where... Um, Uh, Peter cuts the ear off the soldier and Jesus just puts it back on. When I remember the first time we read that, Reed was like, I don't understand. He he was very confused why Jesus told Peter to put his sword away because in his little black and white mind, somebody's coming to try to get your friend. Peter's defending his friend and Jesus tells him, put his sword away. And that for Reed, it's very like, no, Peter is doing the right thing. He's protecting his buddy. Um, But Jesus puts it back on and says, he who lives by the sword dies by it. So it's a different kind of thinking. It's a different way of being in the world. So the kind of wisdom of the believer is one that is lived out by Jesus. It's the kingdom of heaven stuff. right? It's the kind of light invading darkness and it's in contrast to most of the values and ideas that we are saturated in every day. So I was thinking about how am I known, me personally, Matt, in the spaces that I walk in? What kind of Um, value system do I espouse? For Christians, we often live in our intellectual, in our heads when it comes to faith, right? So I know what I believe, I have a certain level of, I can tell you um, the the gospel in a a few sentences, hopefully. Um, And if I can do that, that's a good thing. Uh, The Bible is clear that it's important that we articulate our faith and be able to articulate our faith. But it's very easy to have a particular worldview uh, one that says that this is the kind of wisdom I live in. I live in gentleness, mercy, uh, compassion, peace, as this passage talks about, Or uh, and then be still walking step in step with selfish ambition in the world. Um, we are broken people. We are sinners, and we're never going to be perfect uh, before the final glorification. But the Bible does call us to a kind of sanctification in where we... Um, are formed in the image of Jesus. And so I was thinking about how am I building my life story in relation to the kind of wisdom that James is talking about here? Wisdom that is a piece that produces a harvest of righteousness. And uh, I'd start, you know, I think we all can do this on a kind of individual level. You start filtering through your week, you filter through the things that you're about, the goals that you have in life, and you start saying which one of these, how does this line up, with the kingdom of Jesus? How does this line up with the wisdom that is from God, that comes from being in step with the Holy Spirit? And that's one of the beautiful things about coming together as believers, right, here at Citizens, is um, when we're doing communion, we're remembering who Jesus is. When we're worshiping and singing together, we're reminding each other that we're part of a different kingdom, that a gathering of people together like this is a group of people who have for those of you that are Christians, have given allegiance to a different kingdom. And because you're part of a different kingdom and a different wisdom, we're reminding each other that we live differently and that we're a part of something different. And like I said earlier, as long as as we wait for the return of Jesus and the final glorifications of our bodies, we're gonna struggle with brokenness. You know, I just gave you an example of the Sunday morning leaving the house, and I'm sure we could all just go around and talk about a way this week that our, our lives look nothing like this. But I like what Paul says in Second Corinthians three seventeen and 18. He says, "...now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit." Paul's talking about a transformation that happens as we spend time with Jesus, as we gaze on the presence of God. Um, What does that mean practically, to gaze in the presence of God? I think what I talked about earlier, just coming together with believers is one of that. Spending time with God, spending time um, wherever you find time to do that. For me, it's uh, driving to work and back where I can just spend time in the presence of God. In particular, it's interesting, if if you have a particular time where you do something like that, that's usually where um, you're just immediately, if you take any time to reflect, that's when it's gonna come back to you on your day. Oh yeah, that's how it was. Nothing like Jesus today. Um, But just even having that moment to be like, yep, failed again. But as imperfect people, we gather together to remind each other that when we Spend time with the Lord, it can be said of us that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's my prayer for me this week, and I hope that um, for you as well, that can be your prayer, that we look to Jesus as both the teacher and the example of a, of a wisdom that it transcends the kind of wisdom that we see in the world, that we see in our spaces, and that that wisdom can flow out of us as believers together. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Citizens Church. Thank you for every single person that's here. Um, For anybody who's not a Christian this morning, I pray that um, your presence would be felt. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would make known your beautiful, uh, your beautifulness to them. Uh, God, that we would, as Christians here, be representatives of what it looks like to love Uh, And so, God, may that um, fill us uh, and may that spread to the places that we go this week. Jesus, we are just grateful, grateful to be a part of something so much greater than ourselves, something that was started uh, before the dawn of time and that we are joyfully uh, adopted into as sons and daughters of the King. And so, thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.